We are Emily and Blair and welcome to Elevating Business, the podcast which focuses in on all things around starting a business online, growing that business and doing so in a way that is healthy and enjoyable to you, the business owner. Before we dive in, be sure to visit our website at emilyandblair.com, which you can use to work your way through starting a business online, step by step, and it's completely free. Hi, and welcome to episode 69. Blair's going to start by looking at the physical product sourcing, and I'm going to tell you how to live in the present moment. Yeah, good one. Thanks, Emily. So, yeah, today I wanted to really get a bit granular around physical products and just how you would go about starting to look to source, you know, a product that you want to sell on a website or in your business. And, you know, there's multiple ways of doing that, but we'll, we'll look at a couple here and just look at some of the pros and the cons of, of the different methods. So we're, we're not actually talking about choosing a physical product here because we'll cover this a bit more in a few episodes time. We're just talking about sourcing it and where you would go to do that. So basically there's two main options. So you can either source locally. So if you're in the US, you know, that's looking and talking uh, with a local manufacturer and buying product off them. Or you can source from overseas. And the main ones for that are generally China, Vietnam or India. So there's obviously pros and cons for both. And so, for example, locally, you know, that can be quicker uh, to get product. It can be a better quality product um, and you can spend less on freighting it because obviously it's closer to you. But it can and often will cost more to produce. So therefore, you need to then be selling it for more. Whereas with overseas, you know, it can cost less. The quality can be an issue. Uh, and the freight is more expensive because obviously you've got to ship it from halfway across the world to get it to you. So if we were focusing on the overseas, and I'll use China as an example, uh, there's a couple of websites which you can go to. Uh, one's obviously Alibaba, and the other one's uh, madeinchina.com. You go to these, and they're basically big directories of products and suppliers. So you know you can go there and search for the product that you're after. And, you know, you'll probably find a range of suppliers offering similar or the same products. The key thing there is with your product, you need to decide on whether you're going to start by using a standard product and just branding it your way. Or are you going to get a standard product and modify it to add some benefits to it? Or are you going to have the manufacturer make a completely new product? So something that's not on the shelf at the moment, it's your idea and it's going to be made completely from scratch. And again, there's pros and cons to doing this. So if you use an existing product, it's obviously going to be really easy and cost effective because it's already set up, it's already produced, it's already been tested. But the problem with that is it lacks originality and you're probably going to be competing with a lot of other people selling the same thing. So, for example, if we look at the pet industry, you know, you could be looking at a dog bed. If you went to a supplier in China and just picked a dog bed off the shelf and imported it into the US, you're likely to be competing against a number of other websites selling the same dog bed. So that would then come down to your branding and just how you brand your product and how you get your customers to come and see your product and, and how you detail it up on your website. So you can do it that way, but it is, it is hard because you've got so much more competition. 
Whereas on the other hand, if you go the other extreme, making something from new can be quite expensive because you've got all this design and development time and cost. You know, they've got to make up molds, you've got to test it, you know, so there's a whole lot of time and, and cost involved in that. So there's pros and cons with either either end of that scale. Personally, I like the middle ground of that, you know, and that's where you're selecting a, an existing product which has been tried and tested, and you're basically adding something to it to modify or improve it. And so an example of that, um, we used to sell tie-down straps in the um, automotive industry. Uh, and basically what we did, we had the manufacturer make these straps longer. So I think that this main strap on the market was 10 feet long, and we made them 14 feet. And the reason that worked was because that allowed us to then market them to people with trailers and also people in the commercial area that needed a longer strap. So it might be, they might have been you know, using a truck that they needed to tie down a big tarpaulin on and the 10 feet ones just weren't long enough. They were fine for most users, but by us modifying the product to be a longer strap, we opened, I guess, our product up to a sort of side niche you know, within the automotive industry. Um, and that got us customers that way. So that's a nice way of using a tried and true product, but just changing it to make it unique to you and your brand. So when you go onto these platforms, you'll find a lot of manufacturers doing the same product. And something you need to be aware of in China on platforms like Alibaba, you can be basically dealing with suppliers rather than the actual manufacturer. So what these suppliers do is they buy the product from the manufacturer and sell it to you. So they're effectively an intermediary. So you really want to be careful who you make contact with and, and do a bit of research to ensure that you're where you can, you're dealing directly with the manufacturer rather than this sort of intermediary because that'll save you money and it'll actually make the process more streamlined because when you're dealing directly with a manufacturer, you know, you, you can talk about changes to the product directly with them and you're not having to wait for the intermediary to communicate this to them and then back to you. So what I would do, I'd be contacting the supplier and, and I'd contact probably a number of suppliers of, of the product that you're after. And I'd get them to air freight some samples to you of the product. And what you want to be doing is getting four or five samples of the same product or similar product air freighted to you so then you can physically test and try these out yourself. You will soon see quality differences and you will work out which manufacturer is going to be the better one to deal with going forward. So then what I'll be doing is once you pick that manufacturer, start off by negotiating a small order from them. So basically you're not overcapitalizing with a whole lot of stock on a product that you still haven't actually tested in the in the market that you're in. So you know, you might be able to negotiate an order of fifty units or a hundred units rather than a thousand. A lot of them have this minimum a thousand unit sort of order, but you can do normally negotiate a test order with them. One thing I would always do is make sure that you sign a contract on each and every order you do with them. So it doesn't matter if you're dealing with the same manufacturer every time, make sure you sign an independent contract each time. So that would have all the um, specifications on the product, you know, what quality you, you sort of want out of it, um, all the details, all the dimensions, the colours, uh, the packaging requirements, and the delivery timeframes. So all of that information's on the contract and 
both parties have agreed what's to be provided. Then what I would do is when your order's ready to go, I would organise a third party local inspection of the goods and the packaging so that before they leave the manufacturer's premises, you're basically holding back payment until this third party inspection's been done. And now what they'll do is they'll go in and they'll do a sample unboxing of the product where they'll pull apart the packaging, they'll pull the product out and they'll do some testing on the product. And obviously that changes depending on what the product is. But they've got a whole list of things that they will normally do and they'll do, you know, for example, if we come back to the tie-down straps, they were doing break and strength test on the straps. So they would actually put them under a, a, a pressure test until they broke and test the strength that the um, that the tie-down strap would go to. So they can do all of these really quite granular tests on your product and they'll normally send you a, a report with about 30 pages long in it of what all of those things are that they've tested. So that's really important because what you don't want to have is all of your product turn up in your country and find that there's a fault with it. Okay, so these, these inspections only cost a couple of hundred dollars US, um, but it's well worth it if you're going to bring a whole lot of product over from China, for example. Because once they're in your country, it's too late and you can't deal with the manufacturer. You can't just send the product back. It's, it just doesn't work like that. So the other thing is that you want to be doing is, is making sure that if you're sourcing it locally rather than from, say, China or Vietnam, you might be able to actually negotiate with the manufacturer for you to actually go and visit the premises of the factory where it's being made and you can have a look and test the product yourself. So rather than having to spend money on a third party, you can go and you know, look at the product yourself before it's finalised. You want to also make sure that you specify how you want the products to be packed for freighting and make sure you inform the supplier of that. And that's the cartons that the, that the product boxes are to go in. Um, and the main reason for that is that a lot of online marketplaces and fulfillment centres require them to be packed in a certain way. So, for example, Amazon, they have very specific requirements about how the boxes are to be set up. So you need to make sure of all the details around that and communicate that with your manufacturer. So that's basically an overview of how you would actually go about sourcing a product, uh, particularly overseas. There's a few more things around that. And what we're going to be doing is following this podcast up with a series over the next few weeks about product selection, product research for Amazon, as well as going through some freighting and importing uh, information for products that you're going to bring in, because there's quite a bit to know about how to deal with freighting and, and you know tariffs and taxes and things like that. So we'll go into that in a bit more detail then. But hopefully you enjoyed this bit on physical product sourcing. And over to you, Emily. Thanks, Blair. I did really enjoy that. Thank you. So to live it in the present moment then, I know you've probably heard it before. It's quite a common phrase to be used a lot, you know, that kind of buzzword type thing, you know. But how do you actually live in the moment? And, you know, given the fast pace and hectic schedules that most of us keep on a day-to-day -day level, there is a general base level of anxiety and stress and happiness that seems to have become the new norm. And you may not even realise it, but this tendency to get sucked into the past and the future can actually leave you perpetually worn out and feeling out of touch with yourself. So 
as I said, it's not just a phrase. It's actually a recognized and evidence-based lifestyle that psychologists are quick to recommend for those struggling with anxiety or stress in, in the day-to-day -day lives. And it's about being in the present moment, the here and the now, being aware of what's going on around you and your mind, not worrying about the past, what you've done, what's in the past, something that you can't change, can't do anything about, or the future, which hasn't even arrived yet. You know, and a, an example of this is actually the other day, and this is what brought me to doing this podcast, was it was a lovely sunny morning and we'd gone for a walk on the beach and we were a little bit late getting up and Blair had a lot of things to do when we got back. And I think at the beginning of the walk, you know, he was saying he was quite stressed about having to get back to do all these list of things. And I'm sure you're probably listening to this saying, yeah, I feel exactly the same. But, you know, I said to him, look, we're out for a walk. Enjoy the walk. This is part of your exercise. This is part of relaxation. It was a lovely walk on the beach on a lovely, lovely morning. But if you walk on that beach feeling anxious about what you've got to do when you get home, you're not there in the moment. You're not enjoying and taking hold of that time. And that's kind of where I'm getting at. You, If you're always constantly worrying about things that you need to do, then you're not actually there in the present moment and enjoying that time of relaxation, which is really important for your body and your mind to be healthy and happy. It's easier said than done, though, isn't it? You know, I mean, that's, that's yeah. the thing I really struggle with. I always struggle yeah. with the fact that I've always got stuff on my mind. And, and, and you know, it's actually being able to stop and get yourself into that, that present moment. And that's, that's the hard thing. Yeah, and it's, it's probably not something you, you're just going to start doing tomorrow. It's, no, it's, a, it's a process. Yeah. And there's ways that you can get m more um, mindful of that. For instance, you know, everyone is going to be thinking about the past and the future at points. But try to get a balance. Think about the past in small doses, making sure you're focusing on the past for a reason. For example, maybe a relative or a pleasant experience in some way. And also thinking about the future again, but in small doses. But don't spend time worrying about the future. Think about the future long enough to prepare for it and then to move on. And trying to stay in the present moment for the vast majority of the time. There's also um, lots of mindful exercises out there. There's quite a lot of books and YouTube videos as well to help you with this. So I'll put a few of those examples into the show notes that you can um, have a look and research and just find some ways and little tips and techniques on how you can actually try to stay focused in that present moment. But again, it's a journey. It's not something you're going to be able to snap and do. Yeah, I think also, you know, with me, that like some of the times, I think you've got to pick your moments. You know, if, if we're out for a walk, you know, it's our time and, and it's being conscious of that and, you know, being conscious of who you're with and, and where you are and, and actually, you know, being able to put aside all that other, other thoughts and, and, you know, things and just focus on being there and now. And then there will be other times when you can actually stop and, you know, it might be that you're sitting out having a cup of tea or something in the, in the garden and, and then you can think about the future or, or maybe you've actually put aside some time with your diary to sit down and plan some of the future mm. stuff. And that's when you can unload some of that sort of, you know, peripheral stuff. Mm. And So it's being able to actually grab certain moments of the day and say, right, well, this is actually a time where I need to be present or this is an hour of time where I'm actually going to reflect and write down some stuff of what's happened. And, and you know, particularly for people that keep diaries and stuff, that's that's pure reflection time when they're writing their diary and things. So, mm. you know, maybe, maybe that's... Relax. way to do it you know is to just yeah 
compartmentalize it a bit more. Yeah. But, uh, no, that's really good. All right, thanks, Emily. And that's all we've got time for in episode 69. We'll see you in the next one. Any links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes. And remember that our website is a huge resource of free step-by-step guides for starting a business online and working through the journey. If you like what you're hearing, then please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend.